0: This is Grown Up With Kids, the parenting and marriage podcast that gives a weekly dose of encouragement, wisdom, and humor for people trying their best to live, love, and laugh more with their families. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, hey, today we talk all about whining, addressing the behavior and the heart behind it. Also, David gets the wrong idea about Rachel being hot and bothered.
0: The Grown Up with Kids podcast. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I mean, we can pretend like we're good, but <laughs> <laughs> it's been a tough day, That's tough good. President's Day, Rach.
1: I know. Usually, I am uh, podcasting in my pajamas, so it feels first of all, it feels strange to sit here with clothes on. I'm always clothes. So I'm just not in yeah. my real clothes. Um,
0: yes. So we. It's Monday. It's President's Day. I've been home. We've been working through this. Yes. We had a busy, tough weekend, so we didn't get a chance to do this earlier we got some really good content we're excited about it we're gonna talk about kids who whine and how to maybe stop them from doing that
1: yeah or more and importantly maybe like... we should talk about adults who whine and how to get me to stop whining
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we've had uh, a few tougher interactions kind of planning for this and dealing with some other things but mm-hmm. i feel good about you right now i like you too oh thanks yeah let's mostly. stay married <laughs> Re-up the lease.
1: Let's call the whole thing off. (laughs) This is the musical version of Growing Up With Kids.
0: Yes. yes. I'm just
1: kidding. It's not. That's the end of my musical numbers.
0: Okay. Um, So we're going to talk about whining. Yeah. Yeah. I can't talk about whining without talking about my least favorite PBS Kids TV show.
1: I bet we have the same least favorite PBS Kids show. Uh,
0: well, I know we do. <laughs> <laughs> we have joked about this for years. Because
1: it's the whiniest show out
0: there. It, oh, Caillou.
1: But mom. Oh. And then the mom says, sure, do whatever you want at the yeah, end. yeah,
0: I feel like I never actually made it through a whole episode, so I might be unfair, in my review of Caillou, Mm. but I felt like every portion of an episode I ever saw was him whining about wanting to do something and then his mom or grandma being like, yeah, let's go do it. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think the close second for me on the least favorite show, so I love Curious George. I hate that Curious George always ends up on top. Like, he always ends up okay. Even though he's done something wrong, there are, like, no natural consequences for that monkey. I don't understand.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So curious George I had a full 180 on when our kids first started watching him uh, you hated him I did not like it at all for yeah. that reason and I felt like it was there's something about it that I just didn't enjoy not not that it was, I was the target audience obviously um,
1: <laughs> you mean a mid-30s man <laughs> wasn't the target audience for curious George
0: yeah that's right apparently yeah uh, you were so, in it
1: for the man in the yellow hat yeah
0: uh, <laughs> No, yes. I'm just
1: kidding. That just took a turn. No.
0: Well, that reminds me of something totally different, which is... So I started liking it after a while because I, I liked the science part of it. Like, it did a lot of math and science, and I thought that was interesting, and they do it in creative ways. Um, but I also noticed that I really liked City Curious George and not at all Country Serious George. <laughs> For some reason, the did episode... Did you just called
1: him C- City Curious George and Country Serious George? Sit- Rachel, you know... <laughs>
0: I can't talk. Like I should do a <laughs> podcast for the deaf cuz I'm such a terrible speaker.
1: Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh.
0: Anyway, they have some episodes where they're out in the country at the yellow man in the yellow hat's country house. Yeah. And then some where they're in their condo or townhome or whatever they live right, in. Right,
1: in like New York or something.
0: Well, it, yeah, in fictitious Curious George land. And I always like the city ones. Like he goes to the donut shop and he plays with the dog that is the doorman. I, I don't know why. Yeah. But I like <laughs> cities better than country. In I general. was going
1: to say it's probably because you enjoy the city a lot.
0: I do. So we talked about maybe some of the shows we liked less than average. Yeah. What are maybe your two or so favorite PBS Kids shows that you really enjoyed?
1: I love Wild Kratts. Love, love Wild Kratts. And I love Odd Squad. I think Odd Squad is so funny. They're weird. Like, they're quirky and they're interesting, but they're still educational. I think they're great.
0: Yeah, it's like hammy in a way that... Kids don't totally notice, but adults do, I think.
1: Yeah, it's enjoyable for both parties.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like those two. Um, here's what else was in the running for me as sort of my two favorites. So there was a period where I loved Dinosaur Train.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And we had a kid who was really into Dinosaur, loved train, dinosaur, train. dinosaur
1: train for absolutely. about a year,
0: and then it went away. And uh, our other two kids did they, not ever get into Dinosaur Train for whatever right. reason. I also, big fan of Super Y and Word Girl, which oh, are essentially yeah. the same show to me, <laughs> just with yeah. different characters yeah. doing it. But I really enjoy those. Um, but Curious George, I think, made it into my top two.
1: Really? Um,
0: yeah. And then I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch in that kind of top range. Sid the Science Kid, I both liked. But also didn't like, because he went to a school where there were like four kids and one teacher. And that <laughs> <laughs> just, to me, set up really no bad sense. expectations of what school should look like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I did enjoy his singing and stuff. Uh, here's one I had forgotten about, and but then thinking about over the last day. Martha Speaks.
1: Oh, Big winner. You liked I like that? that one.
0: A lot of spelling, a lot of learning.
1: I don't think I ever watched that one all the way through. Same yeah. thing with um, Word Girl. I didn't really watch those through.
0: Yeah. I, so, was,
1: I guess I was more of a math girl. I liked Peg plus Cat.
0: Oh yeah, that Peg one was really cat. cute. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to come back at the start of the week to uh, PBS for a second. Perfect. I got one for you. Perfect. But with that, let's talk about whiny kids.
1: That sounds great.
0: And how to create them. <laughs> now is that <laughs> not working? Check. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to start with how uh, I feel when our kids whine, yeah. and you can tell me if you agree or yeah. you experience similar Go things. For it. So I think there's this overall feeling that uh, when our kids whine, I question my ability as a parent. Like, am I doing a good mm-hmm. job? Am I not hard enough on them uh, or disciplining them well or coaching them well or however you want to phrase that? Yeah. Am I too lenient? Um, am I their buddy? So yeah. I think when they whine, that's like the first thing that yeah, my whole identity, if you will, as a father starts to come into question. Yeah. And then I think there's really two distinct feelings depending on whether we're in public or we're at home. So when we're at home and our kids whine, I really just want to punch a wall. <laughs> um,
1: uh, yeah, I've never seen you do that, but I could see it. You, you've I can seen under- me want to do that. I know that feeling, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, I just get so angry and frustrated um, and annoyed. But when we're in public, I just want to... Like, crawl under a rock. Like, I get yeah. really embarrassed. And I think that's tied to this idea of wondering Am I a good parent? And are all these people judging me and looking at me like, Oh, that guy has no control over his kids?
1: Yeah. I think it's important to define whining. So, like, taking just a quick step back. So, what it looks like in a store for us is our child sees a toy and says, I want that. I really want that. I want that. Mom, can I have that? Can I have that? I want that now. And then it kind of like, declines. Yeah. <laughs> or at home, they um just like they just get in a mood and they collapse, they throw a fit, they kick, they scream to either get their way or I mean it just like they go nuts mm-hmm. and they're not using their words. That's how I would always say it is like use your words, use your words, yeah. use your words. But yeah, similar feelings in myself, I get really frustrated. I get annoyed. I like I want them to just function. Like just ask me. And I think what I'm annoyed with is that I'm like, dude, I'm on your team. You know? Like, we are a family. We're in this together. How is it? Like, I get frustrated that they don't see that I'm for them. Right. You know?
0: And and part of that is us falling into the trap of thinking, why aren't they acting like an adult? Right. When they're not an adult. They're a five-year-old or a three-year-old or a 13-year-old.
1: Right. So my my response usually is like, use Use your bleeping words, like I'm going, like, or I'll wind back and be like, like, and that's not helpful. I don't know if you knew that. It's not. I learned that early on. It's not helpful to imitate them because it's not very nice. It's shaming it goes against everything I believe, but I still have done it.
0: I will say you have done it in a controlled way where you're like, hey, let me show you what it sounds like when you're talking. (laughs) And you're not mocking them, but you're like, this is what I heard you say. And then you ask them, can you understand why that's not very helpful or a useful way to communicate? And that actually does resonate with them. But the initial reaction of just being like, (laughs) like back at them is, yeah, just mocking and not helpful.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) So um, one piece in... Getting my head and heart in a place where I can actually coach our kids and teach them um, is recognizing that whining is normal. Yeah, It's not good. It's not to be celebrated or tolerated even, but it is a normal developmental part of them growing up and learning how to communicate and learning how to control their emotions in a proper way, learning how to uh, tell me their needs and their wants, uh, um, and how to learning how to deal with disappointment. So it's, it's sort of a necessary evil, if you will, of the developmental process, wouldn't you say?
1: I totally agree. And I think that whining is often a childlike behavior but if I'm totally honest and I think if a lot of parents are honest I still whine you know like it's just slightly more refined and it's more acceptable socially but I'm still trying to get my way because I'm not believing in the things around me that that what I want is going to go my way and so I do all of these like crazy things to try to get what I want um which is the equivalent of whining so just to normalize that, that whining is very um, normal. I wouldn't say it's good, but I mean, it's human nature, right? Yeah. It's human nature not to believe that something or someone is going to come through for you.
0: Yeah, it's human nature. Do you remember that movie? Uh, uh, oh, man, I'm not going to remember what it's called. Oh, I man. hate when that happens right in the middle. It was <laughs> uh, that Billy Crystal where he's a. Uh, a City Slickers. Therapist nope. for. for uh, um, one of the uh, gangsters. Keep going. You know, we can do this. yeah.
1: Um,
0: analyze this. There Bam!
1: you go. Good job. Burley. Only That's took thirty movie. seconds.
0: So analyze this. He's talking to uh the, the gangster guy about how our anger is a blocked wish, and it, <laughs> and it's sort of funny. And the guy shoots a pillow because he tells him to punch a pillow, instead he pulls out a gun and shoots it. Anyway, it's Robert De Niro who plays the gangster. Yeah. Uh, But I think that that, what you're describing is we all deal with blocked wishes. Uh, This idea that we didn't get what we wanted or the day isn't going the way we wanted. And sometimes it's small things. Sometimes it's really big things. And our natural reaction is to be angry, to be disappointed, to sort of internally or externally whine in an adult way. Right. Um, But we need to bring our hearts back to, like, what's really going on? And is this a really big deal? And what do I have to be grateful for? And so we're doing the same thing just with... Kids whose hearts and minds and brains and um, souls aren't as developed, and so it's normal that they're learning how to do this stuff with us.
1: Yeah, completely, completely yeah. agree.
0: So I think we can then look at whining not as a indictment of our parenting, but just as a natural thing that we're going to deal with, and that over time we're lessening it, we're improving their skills to modulate their own emotions and their communication uh, but we're not beating up ourselves because oh our kids what whiny today
1: yeah I think that that expectation is really important for me personally like when I expect my children to like go about getting their way in these really dysfunctional manners um, I'm I am much easier to engage with that behavior and coach it and parent it rather than just be annoyed so Those expectations on the front end are super important for me personally because my tendency is to be like, grow up already. This is ridiculous. So
0: Yeah, so I just want to clarify what you said because I thought it was really interesting, and I've never heard you say it this way. But when you essentially expect your kids – to be sinners or to make mistakes or to, to not do the right thing, like, because that's just part of who they are and they're growing, that you're in a better place to offer them sort of compassion and then coach them through that.
1: Yes, okay. absolutely. I think we we frequently come at our kids as if they are heaven on earth, like as if they already are living out an ideal world, an ideal life. Um, and and it's just not true. Like, they come out crying Whining, screaming, <laughs> right? I mean.
0: it's sort of like golem looking, <laughs> bluish, right, green. Like,
1: they don't, uh, like they enter the world at a failing grade. Like they're not, they're not supposed to be amazing immediately. Um, and actually that's not what we aspire to. We're not aspiring to create perfection or total happiness. But we are trying to let them deal with the condition of their human nature, Mm -hmm. um, which changes, totally changes how I deal with whining.
0: Yeah, that's great. I really like that. It's food for thought for me. Thank you. I've learned something this episode.
1: Well, that's nice. Thanks.
0: (laughs) So what do you think are some of the roots of whining?
1: Well, I think the first one um, is the physical need. I think the first thing you need to look at when a kid is whining is, are you hungry? Are you tired? Do you need a nap? Is there something hurting you physically? Like, are your shoes tied too tight? Is something pinching your skin in a zipper? Like, small things, right? Um, so that physical need. The second one, I would say, is it's, it's a, a lack of trust. Like, I know, I can speak from personal experience that when I whine or when I complain, it is out of not trusting that someone has my best interest in mind. And so I have to do something extreme in order to receive the attention that I think that I need. Um, and granted, like, that's a sliding scale. The attention I need may not be the actual attention that I, I, I actually do need. It might, I might have a heightened sense of that, but there is something missing in, in my understanding and belief that someone will take care of me and so whining the root of that is not trusting that the person in charge or the parent is going to take care of whatever is happening yeah. um, and I mean the yeah we'll get into that in a minute and I think that the third thing is that it's a request for boundaries and I think that's that builds into the trust We'll talk about all of those those three things
0: yeah so let's we'll talk about those three things before we do that let's talk about, maybe the three most common ways that people talk about how to respond as parents to whining. Yes. So the first one that you This hear gets lots...
1: me all hot and bothered, by oh. the way. Oh, well, I
0: we're... mean, not
1: like in a good way. Not. Uh, we're about
0: to pause the podcast, people. <laughs> oh, my
1: gosh. I pray <laughs> that your mom and my mom are not listening.
0: <laughs> I pray that they are and that uh. they're embarrassed.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so warm in here all of a sudden.
0: <laughs> so... Our first response, Rachel, often yeah. are people are like, oh, you should just ignore it. What do you think of that?
1: Oh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> that's what gets my gets in my craw. Like, I feel like that is... Is that
0: the saying? We've been talking about this for like an hour. Is it gets in the craw or there's something in my craw? I we think got... it's
1: gets in my craw. What is a craw really? I don't
0: know. Someone needs to tell us on Facebook, like, what in the world is the saying about craws?
1: I don't... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's a cross? <laughs> what is a crop?
0: <laughs> anyway, so you get bothered by this idea of just uh, just ignore the whining and it'll yes. go away.
1: So in researching this and thinking about this podcast, this particular episode, um, a lot of the stuff that I found was ignore it, totally ignore it, and it will go away. Um, our, and, mis- our like the and and I think a lot of people fall under either uh, either two camps. One camp would be like. You need to attend to it right away, make sure that the child is all okay and everything is happy. And I think that the other camp is totally ignore it. And the ignoring thing does feel, in a lot of ways, feels better than trying to address their every need because I think it's more common knowledge that like, we don't want our kids to just be happy and that whining is bad. Like, We don't want to just appease whining by right. giving in right? because we're the adult and blah, blah, blah. But the other side of that, I think the pendulum swings way too far to the other side in saying just ignore it because then I think what happens is we ignore. So, okay, hold on, take a step back. So the, the pendulum back in like keep your child happy because you're afraid that they won't feel all their feelings or like because you're afraid they will have negative feelings. And so the the idea that if you ignore it, they'll be able to feel all of their negative feelings, all of their positive feelings, and they should be allowed to feel. Totally makes sense. I totally agree. Kids should be allowed to feel. But I think we miss the mark because I think we run the risk when we pull that pendulum over to the other side and we say, feel what you need to feel, man. That's okay. Take your time. I'm going to ignore it until you're at a place that you're able to talk. Well, kids don't actually know how to pull that back. And so – We're missing the mark in actually coaching them and parenting them into self-regulation and into them actually using their words. And I think we run the risk of allowing them to wonder who will come through for them. I think we run the risk of making the child feel isolated and maybe wrong for what they feel just because they're floundering in those feelings.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I would say ignoring is maybe not the right word, but not um, sort of engaging with the whining is maybe a first step, but it's a communicative first step. It's not just like, get out of my face or I won't look at you and like, I literally ignore you. It's a, hey, you're not in a place to talk about what you need and want. Right. And so I'm going to give you some space to do that. I'm not going to respond to your whining. But when you're ready, then we can do those things together. I can engage your emotions. I can help you learn what you're feeling. I can do all those things. So you go through the process, and as you age, you learn how to do that on your own. Right. But you're not leaving them alone in it or sort of shunning them and saying – I, I'm not even paying attention to you,
1: yeah, so you're saying that's a good way to land in the middle to like allow the child to feel exactly what they're feeling and to let them know like to to sort of it seems like you're hemming them in right drawing some lines and saying, Hey, I see that you're feeling badly." Um, let me know, I, I want to be with you, let me know when you're ready for me to help you through this.
0: Yeah, it's sort of an acknowledging of where they're at and that where they're at is not okay. Right. Um, or how they're handling is not okay. Where, where they're at emotionally is fine to feel things, but the way they're handling it's not okay and that w- we will be ready to engage with them when they're ready to actually engage appropriately.
1: Totally. <laughs> and again, age appropriately. I, yeah, yeah and, and I think that... Um, I think one of the hardest things in parenting that I have experienced thus far is that th- there's just a ton of fear that you're going to harm your child and pay for counseling later. Like, <laughs> there's a ton of fear in saying, like, I'm not letting them feel everything. I'm not letting them express themselves well. I'm not, um, I am somehow insufficient and I need to allow them to be fully human and be fully who they are and not disagree with who they are, right? Right. Like, but there, I think that there is a way that you can allow a child to be fully who they are and stay engaged and guide them. Like they're going to need lines to guide them into being an adult. It's, it really comes down like, in my mind, I think it's taking the long view and saying, you're going to need to know lines when you're in college and you're going to need to know those on your own. And so I need to teach you until you're 18 and you leave my house.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Lord willing. And so we've talked about how we have that perfect balance because we're perfect parents, of course, uh, <laughs> dripping with sarcasm. Yeah. Here is the one that, like, kind of the second way to deal with it that I am highly prone to, yeah. which is just shutting it down and be like, "Stop whining." Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And that's a great way to deal with it, right?
1: <laughs> well, we both. I think we both do that.
0: You think is that your tendency as well?
1: Yeah, because it's annoying.
0: Yeah, and I think that what that does is it it sort of shames the feeling and doesn't let them sort of process it. Yeah. As opposed to saying, like, you need to stop the outward whining, and then we will talk about it. Or, or giving them some kind of connection and some acknowledgement that their feelings are valid, even if what they want is not going to be realized and you know, and the way they're dealing with it is not okay. Yeah. I, so I think shutting it down and just being like, stop the whining, is a really unhelpful way, and that's really the one I have to work on the most to not do.
1: Yeah, and I think both of those, both shutting it down and ignoring, tend to push our kids away from us to go and deal with what they're feeling on their own, Mm -hmm. which is in line with like, feel exactly what you feel and be who you want to be. But But it's lonely, right? But it's very, very lonely, and I think the other other option is like, then do I just give in? Do I just give them what they want?
0: Yeah, so do you think it's ever good to just give in?
1: (sighs) Yeah. I really do. But I think it's good. Well, I think it's reassuring for a kid to um, to have a parent give in. But I think that there's a step before the giving in that needs to happen, which are the boundaries need to be set. Uh-huh. Um, and so... Yeah, like I think, okay, so physical needs. Let's look at that first. I think you like you have to give in to their physical needs. Like if they're whining because they're too hot, that's something you need to pay attention to. If they're whining because they're hungry, you need to attend to that immediately. Like take care of your child. Physical needs are important.
0: Yeah, and again, I think there's room for correction. I mean, we're using give in a little bit tongue-in-cheek because um, there's room to s- someone comes and is like whiny and say, hey, Let's stop the whining, and let's talk about what's going on. Are you hungry? Yeah. Like, or like you said, when they're three, and they don't know how to take off their coat, and they're just miserably hot. It's like, hey, that's not how we talk about it. If you want to take off your jacket, you say, hey, mommy, can, I, can you please help me take off the jacket? Have them kind of work through that, and then you take off the jacket for them, right? Like, you don't yeah. you don't sort of come up with this punishment of like, oh, you whined, and so now I'm going to let you suffer in the heat.
1: Exactly. <laughs> like,
0: that is counterintuitive. Uh, Counter helpful, whatever the (laughs) phrase is. It's not helpful. We're
1: going to make up our own terms the (laughs) whole time. All day. All day long. So I agree. So if there are physical needs that need to be met, like, and um, even emotional needs, like they might be screaming out for attention because something happened at school or something is really wrong with a friend, but they don't know how to communicate that. Right. So that's where I think it's dangerous to say, I'm going to leave you alone until you're ready to talk about this, or until you have figured out how to talk to the, talk about this. That's where you draw them in, and you give in, and you hug them, and you hold them close, and you say, "Is there something else going on?" Right. You know. Um. But, but there is also room to say the way that you express this was hard to understand. It was very confusing because, mm-hmm. because I see you're sad. Um, and it's helpful for me to be with you better if we if you can talk about this in a more reasonable way.
0: Yeah, or even to say like the way you communicated this was not acceptable. Yes, right? like it was disrespectful.
1: Hard stop. Nope.
0: A hard pass. Hard pass. <laughs> no, it's a hard stop. Neither one. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now these are real terms, and we're just using them <laughs> improperly. So I, yeah, and I think when we say don't give in or when people say that like there are examples of that like you don't give in just to get them to be quiet or when they're you're in public just to not feel embarrassed
1: yeah or when they're like screaming for candy at the store and you just want to get them to shut up you just buy them candy yeah or when guilty i have totally done that
0: yeah or when they're just being manipulative which makes me think, of so Parks and Rec. There's that one girl, money, please. Oh,
1: yes, and her dad just hands her money. Yeah,
0: so don't give in to that.
1: Yeah, because she threatens him. Like it, she turns into this adult who becomes threatening to him, um, and he then becomes defined by her happiness. And that's also what we want to prevent. Yeah. Right. We yep. don't want our. We don't want to let our kids define our happiness. We want to be happy to model what it looks like to be a really great
0: adult. Yeah. Great. Okay. So there's kind of two big things. As we come into the home stretch here, that we think are really important in handling whining and coaching them through it. And so those are developing trust and providing really helpful boundaries, right? Yeah. You wanna start absolutely. with trust?
1: Absolutely, yes. Um, like we talked about before, a child whines when they don't trust that their needs will be met without extreme emotion. And so, um, what I have found a really great way to develop trust is to take, approach it like you do potty training. So give yourself like two or three days where you have all the time in the world to spend on this particular thing. And it might be like you get home from work and you've got a full two hours before they go to bed and you have dedicated that amount of time to be wasted on learning to build trust. And it really does, I do think kids often will learn how to do a skill or how to, something's activated after two or three days that they start to really understand. So in that time frame, in those two hours, you just set up situations that are super benign and build trust. And so, like, I, I remember one example was... Um, with one of our sons, there was a harmonica sitting on the other side of the room. And we said, bring me the harmonica, please. And we used a very like even tone and um, they wouldn't listen. But I had all the time in the world to build that trust. Like I need that harmonica. You need to care for me getting that harmonica. Mm -hmm. And so it took time, but eventually he brought me the harmonica and there was reward. There was like, a parade, you yeah. know, like, we are so proud of you, really good job, da da, da 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 right? So doing those kinds of things with how they're asking for items. And so putting um, candy out, an apple out, and a piece of bread and saying, what do you want? And then when they say, I want candy, or if they say it in a tone that, that like, exemplifying and starting to, like, repeat it back to them and say, listen to how this sounds, here's how... One way sounds, I want candy. Give me the candy or can I have candy, please? Do you hear the tone? Like, do you hear how that sounds? Mm-hmm. And you're teaching them, like, what what works and what doesn't. And you're drawing lines around, um, around how, um, how people will respond well. And you're giving them boundaries saying, oh, wait, that's actually not how we talk. That's not actually how you ask for things. Let's try it again. But you have all the time in the world to spend on this particular skill, and you focus in, you hunker down, and you um, reward and then let them know when they've crossed the line.
0: Yeah, and I want to stop and, as an aside, just say – I think this is a great point because it's so easy to see physical uh, milestones and focus on those. So potty training, you mentioned as an example, or getting them to sleep through the night or moving them into a toddler bed out of their crib. And we focus a ton of energy for two, three, four, five days, whatever it takes to get to that milestone because it's sort of an external marker that they're Mm -hmm. growing up. But having that same mindset with emotional skills, Uh, or interpersonal skills, and say, oh, we're going to take the next week or the next month, and not maybe have the same concentrated amount of time, but just for the next month, I just want to work on whining. And so when they whine, we're going to go through this, and I'm going to proactively put up some scenarios where I teach them how to ask for things and how to say please and thank you uh, yeah. And, and it, like you said, just coach them through those so that they develop those skills. And I think that again, it's a great reminder that sometimes we're so focused on the physical and what can be seen that we don't think through. Oh, okay. Well, my kid is five, and by the time they're six, I want them to start developing this ability to ask for things kindly. And so we're going to do some exercises over the next exactly, couple months.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think one of the hard things we obviously we have three kids and. I think when you have one kid, this is really, it's not easy to do, but it is easier because your time is more focused on that one child. When you get to that third kid, man, you've got, like, sibling voices coming in there. Like, finding the extended period of time for two or three days to really hunker down with that one kid is very, very hard. Um, The other thing to take into account, though, with siblings and to not be discouraged by is that the siblings, like the oldest especially, has already learned some of these skills. And so it's being modeled not just by you, but also by the sibling. And it, it becomes more of a norm, whereas that first one, like you're creating all the norms. Right. And so just I just want to say, like, I, as we're talking, I recognize that having this amount of time is really hard to set aside. But I do set aside this time for potty training. That's the thing. Like you said, like for the physical milestones – I really do set aside the time for those things, but I don't do so for the emotional milestones or the um social milestones
0: yeah and and you can feel freedom if you have four kids, <laughs> like you might do smaller chunks or if you're both working, it might be Saturday morning for an hour, we're just right. gonna do this like it doesn't have to be, oh we exert forty hours over a three day period if you don't have that. What what do you have? Because you do want to develop these emotional skills that are really, really important.
1: Yeah, and I think the emotional skills, just to, like, tick through them, That the things that we really want the children to know is that I want them to trust that I'm on their team. Mm-hmm. Like, I am for them. I want them to trust that what I say is good and right for them. And so setting up scenarios where where um, they they feel the goodness of what you've done, um, even though they may not have wanted to do what you've told them to do. Um, trust that we're taking the long view on their behalf. Like we we frequently around discipline will say something like, um, I discipline you and I'm drawing these lines not because I want you to behave a certain way, but because I want you to be the best adult possible. And I want you to be an adult that is able to trust others. And I want you to be a man full of character and a, and full of um, wisdom. And mm-hmm. so taking that long view on their behalf, giving them a vision for who they will be someday. And that's the reason that we do these small increments of discipline and of um, like putting a, a hard, hard stop, hard stop to the whining, hard stop to the whining. There you go. <laughs> um, and then the, uh, the last thing is that I want them to trust that I'm doing my best to help them and, and make sure that they're not alone. Um, David and I are Christians. I think what we um, know about the Lord is that he never leaves us alone. Like, and not in like a weird, creepy way, like I'm always there breathing down your neck, but in a way that's um, like demonstrated over and over, God the Father is always with us. And that's what I want our kids to know is that, that like someday I want them to be able to trust a God who. Is present, who does not just create and disappear. I want them to know that we serve a God who is actually with us and um, and interested in us.
0: Yeah, and who is not yelling, "Stop whining!" Right, but is molding us into better people while our, we were kids and as adults, and that wants the best for us and is trying to, you know, sharpen us.
1: Exactly. Um, exactly.
0: So let's talk about boundaries.
1: Yeah. Yeah, boundaries.
0: So you used the analogy of of a horse. You want to throw that one out? <laughs>
1: no, I didn't use the analogy. Oh, did I use it first? Yeah, you. Well, you wrote
0: came all this detail about it and like well, added not... a lot of color, so <laughs> it's now yours. <laughs> throw out the horse.
1: Okay, so with a horse, like what I envision, you did come up with this picture, but I okay. have such a good, I have a vivid picture of this in my mind. So when you're on a horse, you're riding a horse and you have, like, the bit in the mouth, and you're holding the reins, and it's a gentle ride, right? And then um, you, you kind of relax in that position because riding a horse is pretty relaxing. I find it relaxing. Um, so you kind of relax. You let the reins kind of drop. You kind of, like... I mean, you you kind of look around. You enjoy the scenery. You're kind of distracted. And then slowly, like, it's like a frog in a boiling pot. Like, slowly the horse starts to speed up a little bit. But you don't really notice. Like, you kind of do. And you're kind of like, ah, I kind of feel like this is a little more uncomfortable. But it's not that big a deal. It's fine. The horse gets faster and faster and faster. And then all of a sudden, the horse is running the reins are dropped. Your butt is out of the saddle, like you're flying behind and like going down the path like with your chin like knocking. Blah, 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 blah. You know? <laughs> I think that's the noise that you made. But it's this like slow progression to a feeling of feel of being totally out of control. And so I think that the way that I understand our kids is like we hold the reins, we put the bit in, we have all of the things that should work. We're holding the reins and they're complying for a short period of time and then slowly but surely, I think we all go through these cycles where all of a sudden we realize the horse is out of control. Like I'm like being flung around and I'm hanging on for dear life. I've lost authority. they don't trust me. This horse is wild and free. And while the horse is designed to be wild and free and to go at that speed, it's not actually um, living out. Um, who it's supposed to be like-
0: yeah, and it sort of freaks out even though yes. our kids I'm gonna jump out of the analogy because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that much about horses. Um, <laughs> but you know our kids will go towards absolute freedom because they think that's what they want. They'll go towards just watching TV all day. That's what I did as a kid like we'll, they'll go towards pleasure seeking and comfort. But what they come alive in is actually having boundaries and having direction. Yes. And we had a real hands-on, difficult experience of this just today with one of our kids who was just has been in a tough place um, where he has been difficult. And we had to have a conversation about that today. And it was amazing. Like, he bounced back from that conversation and has been lovely. And it's not just like he's kissing our butt. like you could tell he needed that because it wasn't just us you know correcting him or disciplining him there was also a part of like hey we are with you that trust building like yeah. we love you and what we see right now is not good and we want more for you and we believe more in you and he really, I think, sort of like popped up, if you will, like yeah. emotionally like from that. And I think that's true in all kinds of ways of providing discipline and, and guidelines and clarity and letting our yes be yes and our no be no and being consistent. All those things work together to create safety and comfort in the, in the best way possible.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that one thing that's really important to note is that parenting is not a progression toward perfection. Parenting is a cycle of like like letting the reins fall, letting the leash out, the kid runs wild and free and then we as parents realize, oh crap, my job's not done. I need to pull that pull back. It back
0: in. Like yeah. I need
1: to draw harder lines, I need to give boundaries and then we again, like because you want to trust your child as well, that offers a lot of dignity and so you let the leash go again and then you pull it back again. So it's this process. I just I I think that there is a big fat lie out there that says parents should be in process toward perfect, perfect kids. Mm-hmm. And man, it's not true. Like kids, there will be kids that you see on the playground and sometimes that like you might meet them at one of the, at the peak of their cycle where they're like super well-behaved and wonderful. But what you don't know is that maybe right before that there were some real hard lines drawn and the parent had to pull them right back in. So I just, I hope that offers some encouragement that whining is very normal and it's cyclical, and boundaries like pulling this leash back is a constant. It's a it's a constant cycle, and so don't be discouraged if you have whiny kids. I mean, I hope that's right because we have whiny kids sometimes, <laughs> you know. But and they
0: have whiny parents,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so it's a natural cycle of life, and it's helpful. It's really helpful for children to be pulled back
0: from yeah, that from I, themselves. I think that's a great place to finish. I was going to just add one real practical thing that we've learned, which is writing things down with your kids is a helpful way to describe those boundaries and for them to remember them if you post them. So we do this with our chores. Um, I've been thinking actually recently we're working not on potty training but just on how to use the bathroom appropriately as you get older, (laughs) like where to aim, making sure you suds up your hands, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Which, again, natural developmental stuff, especially for boys who are just not that thoughtful about those things sometimes. Yeah. And so, you know, posting a little paper in there where we print out, like, here are the four rules, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And to
1: be honest, like, sometimes that's not even for them because sometimes, I I think when we've done this before. (laughs) (laughs) Did you sense today? (laughs) Make lots of bubbles, David. (laughs) But I think that one thing that this helps with is that with my three-year-old, like I remember when we were trying to get our kids to sleep through the night, one of the most important things was to stay consistent with the bedtime routine. But you and I needed something posted on the wall that said, here's the bedtime yeah, routine. absolutely. Because we were, one, exhausted because we had just had a second child. And two, there were two of us. And so we're trying to stay on the same page. And so just writing down the simple boundaries was really helpful for parents. Like, it's not even for the kids. It's literally for us to be like, okay, we are on the same page. And we will be consistent with the same exact rules.
0: Yeah, Great. So with that, have compassion on yourself, and remember to have compassion on other parents when their kids are whining.
1: They might be at the bottom of the cycle.
0: Might be at the bottom of the
1: cycle.
0: (laughs) All right. You ready for the stat of the week? You bet. (laughs) All right, Rach.
1: (laughs) Rach. I was blowing in the mic. Did you hear it?
0: (laughs) I think it's on there, yep. Rach. (laughs) Enjoy that, folks. What's up, Dave? All right, so we started our whining conversation with the whiniest cartoon character we know.
1: Caillou. Um,
0: So I have some PBS-related or Sesame Street-specifically-related fun facts for our stat of the week.
1: I love Sesame Street.
0: Really? Yeah. Did you watch a lot growing up? Totally, Yeah. yeah. I remember it.
1: I liked Snuffleupagus.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, he was my favorite too.
1: He was somewhat rare. I felt like we didn't get to see him very much, but when he came on I was super excited.
0: He's Big Bird's imaginary friend, right? Yes. So he's, he's the sort big, of like imaginary?
1: elegant mammoth thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Got it. All right. So a few things I learned. I'm just going to rapid fire these for you. Great. Number 1. Do you know that Oscar uh the Grouch was a different color in his first season?
1: No, what color was he?
0: No, I'm asking the questions here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I'll guess. What purple. Color? Mm, no. <laughs> no, brown.
0: No, nope, brighter.
1: Uh, orange? Yeah. It really? was
0: orange, yep. Uh-huh. Um, I'll post a picture of it. Um, did you know that in 1992, this is not I'm not, it's not a question, I'm just going to tell you, uh, they created a TV special where Snuffy, which I assume is Snuffleupagus's parents, went through a divorce, but they never aired it. Really? Yeah, it would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, and... Uh, let's see here. Did you know that Bert had an identical twin brother?
1: No. Do you know what his name was? Uh.
0: I think similar to Bert. Kurt. Bart. Really? Yeah. Um, Bert and Bart. Bert and Bart. He appeared briefly in an episode in 1974. All right. And then the last one, this is going to be hard because there's a lot of different characters, but there are two characters who are left-handed. Zoe. No.
1: Okay. Uh Elmo. No. Okay.
0: Getting closer though. Really? Yes, I, I don't know. Grover? Uh no, but he's blue. One of them's blue. Uh
1: one of the moop moop guys? Cookie monster maybe? Cookie
0: monster's one of them. Really? Yep. And the other one lives with Bert.
1: Ernie is left handed.
0: Yep, Cookie Monster and Ernie are both left handed.
1: Interesting. Good I to wonder know, if huh? they did that intentionally.
0: Uh, It says the puppeteers use their right hands for their mouths. I don't know if that's because the puppeteers are either right-handed or left-handed. I don't know why. Maybe.
1: Interesting.
0: All right. Oh, one last one. This one's interesting. Yeah. Guess how high Ernie's Rubber the Ducky song made it on the Billboard Top Singles Chart in 1970. (laughs) No way. It's in the top 20. It was
1: even on the Billboard Top?
0: Somewhere in the top 20. Where do you think it is?
1: Nine.
0: Close. 16.
1: Really? Yep. I mean, honestly, that's kind of like the VeggieTales movement, like when the VeggieTales songs came out when we were. Did they make it younger. onto
0: the? Uh, I don't know. I'd be
1: curious to find out. But I like uh, that's the kind of feel like those stupid songs. I guess. Um, what's that song, Baby Shark? Now didn't that Baby make
0: it? Shark, shark Shark Shark? Those
1: shark. songs, you know, sometimes yeah. go rogue and get on the Billboard top. Yep. Twenty or something.
0: There you go. Well, All anyway. right, Rich. Thanks for working on the farm.
1: Thank you for working on the farm. Talk to you later. Check ya.